All right, everybody, it's the Hoops Observer. So for today's NBA observations, we are going to be talking about these San Antonio Spurs who are red hot as of late. Are they for real or are they just on a hot streak? We'll debate that. We will also be talking about Greg Popovich with his 22nd consecutive season above 500. Is it finally time to call him the undisputed GOAT or does Phil still have a case for the crown? And then last but not least, we're going to take some time to talk about Campbell Walker. Should he stay in Charlotte? Is it time for him to move on? And if so, what do those options look like? So let's go ahead and get started and find out. So real quickly, before we break down the San Antonio Spurs, if you have not already subscribed or left a like, please do so. It is greatly appreciated. So the San Antonio Spurs. Winners of nine of their last ten. They were on a nine-game win streak. And they just lost to Miami this past Wednesday at home. But before that, they had won nine straight. Um, They had some pretty strong wins of those nine games that they won in a row. Six were against playoff teams, uh, Detroit, Milwaukee, Oklahoma City, Denver, Portland, and actually the Golden State Warriors. So it wasn't the weakest of competition. It wasn't like they were beating up bottom dwellers. Um, So all in all, that's definitely um, a good way to end the season or round out the season as you make a push for the playoffs, especially how they were playing before that. They did not play well at all on their usual um, annual road trip that they go on, the rodeo road trip, as they call it. Um, So it was a good little bounce back there. Now, here's the question, right? Do I think the San Antonio Spurs are going to be good enough to actually threaten Golden State? No. I I do not. Um, do I think that they can maybe make some noise? Maybe. Um, here's the thing, though. The Spurs are not good on the road. And the way that the standings are falling right now, they are two and a half games behind Portland for the four seed. So obviously the four seed is the lowest seed that will have home court advantage in the first round. So they're not really in a position for home field, which could really hurt them because they are 13 and 22 on the road. And then there's also some other factors. They have two stud players, right? LaMarcus Aldridge has been playing good uh, during this particular 10-game stretch. He's averaging 23 points, 9.5 boards, a block and a half a game on 55% shooting. And DeMar DeRozan has been playing some very well-rounded basketball at 21 points, 7 boards, 6.5 assists, 1.5 steals. But after that, the talent level drops off fairly strong. Uh, The next best player I would say on the San Antonio Spurs this year would be Rudy Gay, um, who's a solid veteran contributor. Unfortunately, and this hurts me because I'm actually I was a big fan of Rudy Gay. I used to be someone who um, vouched for Rudy Gay and and said that he was one of the most underrated players in the league. And I still think during his time period he was. But once he had that Achilles injury, unfortunately, he was just never the same. And, and I really hate that for him because I felt like he was definitely an underrated talent. And I think if the Spurs had a Rudy Gay similar to, you know, his, his 2015, 2016, 2017 form when he was on the Sacramento Kings, um, 
they actually could be a really solid team to be reckoned with. And I think they would actually be fighting for home court as opposed to just kind of in this cluster with OKC, Utah, and the Clippers. Um, And then after that, you know, you got Patty Mills, who's never really... um, you know, let's just put it this way. He's never really taken that next step. I feel like Patty Mills is roughly just about as good as he was now as he was about four or five years ago. And unfortunately, I don't think that's going to change. I think Derek White um, is a decent, he's a scrappy defensive guy. Um, he, he's definitely given them some solid contributions. I would say if not Rudy Gay, Derek White would probably be the next best player, in my opinion, on that team. They did get hit um, with some bad fortune at the beginning of the year. DeJounte Murray got hurt, um, you know, season-ending injury. But at the end of the day, I think this team likely you know, especially if they don't get home court advantage, probably doesn't even make it past the first round. The, the one thing I could see maybe if they play, um, you know, if they play Houston and, and James Harden chokes again, which I don't think is going to happen, maybe that's the case. Or maybe Denver's a little um, get a little stage fright for their first year in the playoffs and an upset can happen there. It's definitely possible. Um, but I think best case scenario, you know, even if they upset someone in the first round, more than likely the course of correction in the second round will will catch up to them. And I don't think they make it past the second round. If I, So long story short, if I was a betting man, I'd say they don't make it past the first round. Um, but if I'm a overly optimistic Spurs fan or just someone in general, I, I think, uh, you know, second round is probably your best case scenario, but especially on the road, I don't think that's going to happen. So um, do I think they're for real? Unfortunately, I think that they're just playing hot right now. They're ending the year strong. Um, I would be really shocked if they made it past the first round, especially with that lack of depth and, and how serious all the teams in the West are. So um, unfortunately I will have to say more than likely the, the San Antonio Spurs will get bounced in the first round. Now, this brings me to my next topic, however, because I want to take a moment to congratulate Greg Popovich on 22 consecutive seasons above 500. That is a monstrous record. Um, Think about this for a second. Like some of the players now, like Zion, um, even some of the younger players weren't even born when this streak started, like Trey Young, for instance, right? Some of those guys weren't even born when Popovich started going on this huge um, 22-season win streak. So um, definitely, definitely something that deserves some applause. So obviously, though, this does bring the question, is it finally time to anoint Greg Popovich as the GOAT of all coaches? So when I was doing this... um, Doing the research, as I, should, I guess I should say, doing some homework for this. I, um, you know, I tell you one thing, it is razor thin. And if you make a case for either one, I couldn't fault you. I'm going to explain to you why I think one coach, and when I say one coach or the other, ultimately it comes down to him and Phil Jackson, right? There's nobody that really comes close with the exception of maybe Pat Riley. Um, but other than that, it really comes down to Popovich and Phil Jackson. So let's take a look at this for a second. Um, all right. So 
let's break this down into a case for why Pop would be the better coach, and then we'll break it down for a little bit of a case on why Phil would be a better coach. So for Greg Popovich, the consistency, uh, you know, is unheard of, right? 22 seasons above 500. Um, and he's been playing or he's actually, excuse me, I should say he's been coaching through so many different eras from the 90s to the 2000s to the 2010. Um, I watched a LeBron quote about him and, you know, he summarized it pretty well. He said, you know, Pop was coaching in the 90s when it was dumping to the big man and then he was coaching to the 2000s when it was more about the pick and roll and then now he's coaching the 2010s where um, it's more about the three-point shooting and no matter what pop always adapts his system and i think it's true when you watch the san antonio spurs um, in the 90s they were a defensive juggernaut then they started to do a little bit more pick and roll with Manu and Parker. Then they started to become a little bit more of a three-point shooting team. Um, obviously, you know, not only with Tony Parker and Ginobili, but Danny Green, Bellinelli, players of that nature. Um, you know, LeBron, you know, I, I take that quote from LeBron, but you do have to understand that LeBron says Greg Popovich is the GOAT. Um, he, Him and Phil Jackson don't really see eye to eye. I don't think there's much of a relationship there. Um, and I do think it's twice fold, right? First off, there's the whole, there's a lot of different saga between LeBron and Phil that we don't really have time for. Um, and then there's just, you know, in general, LeBron's someone who's very calculated, right? And um, he has lost to Greg Popovich twice in the finals. So I don't think he minds, you know, giving him that little nod because it helps him out, right? He could say, you know, hey, I, I played against the best coach ever. I mean, he's kind of, <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of like one of those things where, like, he's trying to boost his case for why it's okay that he lost in the finals and, um things of that nature and i don't know um but that's that's neither here nor there but i just wanted to kind of clarify why i think we should just take that lebron endorsement as the goat with a little bit of grain of salt so the other thing about pop that people will try to use as a case that he's better than phil is that pop had to make a team out of nothing or pop had less to work with um, to me, truthfully, I don't necessarily know if that's the case, but I'm gonna talk about that more with my Phil Jackson argument in a second. But you know, that, that's the argument, right? That, that pop, he, um, you know, he, he turned Tony Parker into a star. He turned Mono Ginobili into a star late first round, second round draft picks. He turned Danny Green into a star. He turned Kawhi Leonard into a star. He made Tim Duncan who he is. The only one you can't really give him is David Robinson because David Robinson was a beast before he was there. Um, but, you know, that that's the other thing that you would have to say. Um, you, can, you can also make the argument that that pop was a uh, a much better X and O's guys, right? Phil was more of a. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the best way to say this, but Phil was more of just an ego manager than than Pop was. Pop's system 
the way he runs that system, you know, is really unheard of, right? Like he just plugs people in. If he loses someone, he just plugs someone else in. When he needs to adapt, he gets the right players to fit that system. And it's showing because he inherited DeMar DeRozan this year, a player who I did not think would fit the San Antonio mold. And quite frankly, DeMar DeRozan is having a very under-the-radar solid year. Maybe not as good as his Toronto years from a stat perspective, but, you know, at the same time, look at Kawhi before Toronto and after Toronto. Kawhi's put up way bigger numbers in Toronto because of the way that pop system works. You know, nobody's bigger than the system. Um, so to me, I, I think that's some bonus points. Now, as far as championships, you know, Pop has won five rings. He never won back-to-back, and I'm going to slowly transition into why you can make the case for Phil, but Pop never won um, back-to-back titles. He, he never even won back-to-back titles. In fact, the only time he went to the finals back-to-back years was in 2013 and 2014. Of course, we know that's the year that... Um, Ray Allen hit the three in 2013 that, you know, as they were as they were rolling the trophy out for the Spurs that ultimately just crushed the spirit of the Spurs and they weren't able to recover until the 2014 files where they just utterly destroyed the heat. So you can you could look at it this way. Um, Pops won in three different decades. He's won titles in three different decades. Phil can't really say that, Um, you know, but at the same time, when you look at some things, right? All right. So here's a want to say something else, right? One of the let's transition now into why Phil Jackson might be the better coach, because one of the biggest knocks that Phil has is that he had a stack team. Oh, he had Jordan and Pippen and then he had Shaq and Kobe and then he had Kobe and Gasol. Well, Let's take a moment to think about how many titles Jordan and Kobe and Shaq and Pippen and everyone else won without him. The answer is they didn't win any. Um, I think Phil, while he, he can't quite build someone from the ground up like Pop can, I think that Phil really elevated Michael Jordan um, to be more of a team player. He definitely helped Kobe out because uh, I remember when I was younger, when you watch the Lakers before Phil got there back in the Del Harris era, they didn't really play together. Uh, you know, there's even the infamous Nick Van Exel quote, one, two, three Cancun as they were about to get swept by the Utah Jazz. Uh, they were more egos, but Phil finds a way, and this is what I was talking about, ego manager, right? Phil finds a way to hush your ego, to get you to buy into a team system. Take a player like LeBron, right? You you could tell he doesn't like to be coached sometimes. Like LeBron, as much as he thinks Pop is the better coach, there's no doubt in my mind that LeBron would do better under Phil Jackson because he's going to give you more freedom. He's going to give you more respect. Um, he's going to build the offense around you. Then Greg Popovich, where it's the system or bust. You see, here's the thing with Greg Popovich. He had Tim Duncan. He had David Robinson. He had Tony Parker. He had Mono Ginobili. And these guys were always coachable. These guys always came in and always listened to Pop. 
I don't think that if you had star players like a LeBron, like a Kobe, like a Michael Jordan, that they would necessarily um, that they would necessarily just buy into system of pops the way that they do with Phil because Phil he he's the Zen man he massages your ego a little bit he shows you your potential he says you know look this is what can happen when Shaq and Kobe played together because when Shaq and Kobe played together you really couldn't stop them I mean their next best player was Derek Fisher um you know when they were playing together there was the year with Glenn Rice um back in the 2000 the first title but he really wasn't a good fit uh but you know nonetheless more often than not, the Lakers were Kobe and Shaq and a bunch of, and I will say this, they are above average role players. Derek Fisher, Rick Fox, very underrated. We are all, we all know about Robert Ory, um, no questioning him. But this notion that Phil had such more stacked teams than um, Pop is true to an extent because Phil did coach three top ten all time NBA players in my opinion Um, everyone has their own opinion but to me I think in whatever order you want to put them Shaq Kobe and Jordan are all top 10 players of all time Tim Dunk is a top 10 player of all time so that's three to one but I do think we really dismiss David Robinson you know um, this guy was a beast this guy averaged 30 points 11 boards five assists two steals and three blocks in 1994 he didn't even win MVP that year he lost to Hakeem Um, he won it the next year slightly similar numbers 27 points 11 boards the assists were down a little bit at three but he still got you the two steals and the three blocks um, with 53 percent shooting from the field but David Robinson was a beast and let's be honest if he didn't buy into what if he was like Shaq right like what if David Robinson was like Shaq um, and didn't want to give like he didn't want to give the reins to Kobe and what if Duncan was like Kobe and just felt like oh this is my team you know I'm, I'm taking over you know both of them had their wrongs ways in the situation so I'm that's why I'm giving you both perspectives right I'm saying you know Shaq didn't want to give the reins to Kobe but Kobe said I'm not asking I'm telling <laughs> like that Joe Budden meme he's not asking he's telling this is going to be his team the, the 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 Spurs as a whole, and and I don't want to use this term to soften them, but they were you know they were they were little Boy Scouts. Yes, Pop. Yes, Pop. We'll do this. We'll do this. So when your best players, a la Duncan and Robinson, and then as Robinson retired, Parker and Ginobili and um, Kawhi was a little bit of an outlier, and you know as he sort of wore out his welcome there in San Antonio. But other than that, they all got in line. They all didn't question Pop. So if you got Tim Duncan, best power forward of all time. And he's listening to Pop and he's doing everything Pop says and following it to a T. That sets a culture, man. That sets a culture that you cannot undo. Um, and I think ultimately that's um, that's the difference. When you look at some other things, you know, let's just take a look at um far as – other, I guess, let's look at some stats, right, for a coach. Phil's still the fastest to 1,000 wins. It took him 1,423 games. Pop was actually the third fastest. Pat Riley actually beat him. So um, head-to-head, Phil barely won. Uh, they faced off 45 times, just regular season. They faced off 45 times. Phil winning 23, so he, you know, Got the slight edge there, 23 and 22 record. He holds the edge by one game. Um, 
Phil has a higher winning percentage all time. Phil's coach 20 season, Pops coach 23. Um, you know, Phil's at 70% winning, Pops at 68. The playoff percentage is vastly different. Um, I must say that as well. Um, Pop is only shooting at about 60% winning in the playoffs. Phil's at about 68. Phil has 11 rings to Pop's five, so that's definitely advantage Phil. And I think Phil took two different teams. He took Jordan and Pippen, then he took Shaq and Kobe, and really three different teams when you look at Kobe and Powell. Um, I think Pop did that, but Pop always had Duncan. Um, I think for Pop to, to me personally, I'm going with Phil, and I think for Pop to pass Phil, he needs to win one title without Duncan. I think just one. I think just one is fair, um, but I think until Pop wins that title without Duncan, um, you know, we can't quite give it to him because when you look on paper, a lot of things come up Phil. And I know a lot of the young guys, especially more LeBron fans, tend to say Pop is better because they don't like Phil Jackson. But um, think about it this way. Pop has only one season of 65 or more wins. Phil has five. The 92 Bulls, the 96 Bulls, the 97 Bulls, the 2000 Lakers, and the 2009 Lakers all won 65 games or more. Whereas Pop only had one Spurs team that won 65 games or more. So I do think that that is um, advantage Phil. It's close. It's definitely close. Uh, And also, Phil and Pop have gone against each other five different playoff series and Phil has won four of those five including a sweep and two series where he won four games to one so that's pretty big as well um, ultimately you know he may have had more stacked teams he you know just knew how to get a lot of the players over the hump in general he didn't necessarily develop players from scratch um, he did take title contenders and turn them into title favors which is ultimately why i'm going with phil jackson but for my final statement in the event that greg popovich does win a ring without duncan we really have to revisit this debate now let's take the time to talk about kemba walker um one of my favorite players in the nba uh being a charlatine i just got a lot of respect for the guy man he always comes out he plays hard and he never gives off the diva approach to where he wants to go somewhere and chase a ring. Now, free agencies around the corner. So quite frankly, you know, I'll, I'll talk about what would look like if he stayed in the Hornets. But quite frankly, I wouldn't blame him or judge him if he were to leave. So let's talk about what I think are three likely destinations for him if he was to leave the Hornets. So the first destination I have is the New York Knicks. So let's say that the Celtics have a good playoff run and Kyrie decides to stay in Boston or just decides to go somewhere elsewhere other than the New York Knicks. So Knicks still have two cap spaces. Let's just be a little generous here and Say that Kevin Durant will sign with the New York Knicks. He cites his relationship with Scott Perry. He cites, you know, 
behind closed doors that he wants to win a title on his own and got a little fed up with the Draymond taunting and just, you know, even even in the parade last year, there was a little bit of taunting by Bob Meyer, um, you know, about how he needed to go there to win a ring. So he says, you know what? Forget this. I'm going to win a ring on my own. So with that being said, we also have to include, before I talk about um, who else we could sign after we signed Kemba and KD, let's say they get the number one draft pick. Congratulations, Knicks fans. This summer, you will bag Zion Williamson, Kevin Durant, and Kemba Walker. So... Great job there, guys. You're already on a fast track to being a competitive team in the East. Um, unfortunately, though, that after you use those two max spots, that's a lot of the Knicks cap space. Um, so you'll, your roster will be kind of bare as far as depth goes. Because you're only going to have about $6.8 million plus the uh, mid-level exception. So let's just say from there... You add a Danny Green, and then you 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 might have to move Dennis Smith Jr. But at the same time, with your current lack of depth, maybe you bring him off the bench as a six man. Um, so I'm thinking, you know, what'll happen here is your starting lineup will probably look something like in this hypothetical scenario for the Knicks: Kemba at point, um, Danny Green at two, Kevin Durant at three, Zion Williamson at power forward. Um, for the center position, maybe you get DeAndre Jordan to re-sign. I mean, he is close friends with Kevin Durant. And think about it, he never got bought out. He's just stayed on the Knicks. Um, he easily could have been bought out and went to a contender, but he chose to stay on the Knicks. So I don't know, maybe he's keeping his options open in case Durant goes there and he can get a decent deal because the Knicks will have his bird right. So you have a playoff team and when i mean a playoff team you're right up there with just about anybody with kemba um danny green kd zion deandre jordan then with your bench you know will probably look something like dennis smith jr uh dotson kevin knox uh, Mitch Robinson, who's actually been playing pretty well under the radar. You should look into him um, if you guys aren't familiar with Mitchell Robinson already. He's been playing pretty good for the Knicks. So um, you'd have decent depth because, like, honestly, in a weird way, a lot of the starters would now be bench players for this team. <laughs> so um, I I think that's your best case scenario for, for Kemba. Um, he's from New York. I don't think he's going to the Nets. Unfortunately, they already have um, – D'Angelo Russell, who they'll have to re-sign this year because he, D'Angelo Russell, you know, he's he's been balling, right? And um, the Nets have two max spots, but they're probably going to have to pay D'Angelo Russell close to max dollars. He is a free agent this year, so unless they're getting a good guarantee from someone other than him, although I don't know if you let D'Angelo go. He's, he's way younger than Kemba. He's got to be younger than by about, you know, five or six years easy i'm probably underestimating that but five or six years um so i think you know if you had the two as much as i love kemba you might roll with russell just because of the long-term future and because look that's your guy you know you took him as the lakers were just basically giving him away and he turned out to be a huge steal for you 
Um, plus what Spencer did witty, I just think that the Nets aren't an option. So um, that Knicks team that I have constructed right there, that's probably the best case scenario. I do think that they're a playoff contender, and I do think that they could actually um, threaten the East right away. With with that team, yeah, Kemba, uh, KD, Zion, DeAndre Jordan in the middle. Then you got some shooters, you know, Danny Green. Maybe maybe you get another shooter in free agency. Um for cheap just to kind of help fill out the roster and then you know dennis smith jr coming off your bench i mean that's that's some firepower plus mitchell robinson's really turning into a good rim protector defending center as well so all in all i like that nick squad i think that nick squad is a playoff contender right away um so let's go to option number two for kemba This would be the Los Angeles Lakers because let's face it, Lakers fans, there's a good chance that we might not get KD, we might not get Kyrie, we might not get Kawhi, and we might not get Jimmy Butler. In fact, you know, I think it's going to be tough for the Pelicans to trade Anthony Davis to us with the lone exception being I think the Lakers get a big boost in potentially landing Anthony Davis if Kyrie Irving leaves right so if Kyrie Irving goes to the Knicks and guess what Kemba's not going there um so maybe that frees things up but for now let's just kind of think more um realistically here so let's say the the Lakers only have one max spot and that's pretty much all their cap space as well um and the Lakers need a center in the worst way we cannot go another year um starting LeBron or Kuzma at at center we just can't we have to find some way to invest in the center now if we get AD um great but I think realistically, there's a high probability that the Pelicans, out of principle, just might not trade him to us. Kind of like the San Antonio Spurs did not trade Kawhi Leonard to the Lakers out of principle. Um, so let's just say though, the Lakers are gonna they're gonna move someone. Like I, you know, I was saying in an earlier podcast, Lonzo Ball has to be moved. So let's just say the Lakers make a trade. They trade Ingram Ball and their first round draft pick for Bradley Beal. That might be a little overpaying, but let's just call that a deal. Um, so now you got Kemba Walker, you got Bradley Beal, you got LeBron, you got Kyle Kuzma. Maybe you get. Um, you know, a big man from another trade or what you do is you you find a free agent center out there that might be able to, you know, you know who would go really good right now? Brooke Lopez. He, (laughs) man, the Lakers messed up letting him go. Um, Not terribly, but it could come back to haunt them. Um, Another candidate, maybe they'll be able to get uh, Dwayne Dedman from Atlanta. Maybe they'll be able to get Enos Cantor if him and LeBron kind of get together. Um, you know, Thomas Bryant, who's been playing pretty good for the Wizards. He's a free agent. Guess what? The Lakers had him too. So um, out of the – and then Ed Davis would be the only other – Big man, I think that's a free agent that we could realistically get unless DeMarcus Cousins takes a pay cut, which I don't see happening. I think this was his year to get a or this is his year to get a ring. And then this summer is his year to cash out, especially because he's been looking pretty good overall. So, you know, that's your best center option. So let's just say um, because the other options are, you know, Marcus all Valachunas, Whiteside, they all have player options, but unfortunately i don't think they're all opting out to take pay cuts to help lebron so um with that being said let's just say that they sign 
let's just say Brooke Lopez, cooler heads prevail, and, and he decides to come there. You got Walker, Beal, LeBron. You still have Kuzma, and you got Brooke Lopez. So you don't really have a defensive center, but you at least have a center that can block some shots. And he spreads the floor, which, gosh, you know, LeBron needs. But with Beal, Walker, Kuzma's a decent three-point shot. Man, that really turns the Lakers around. Do they challenge Golden State? Only if KD leaves. I think if they can keep three-fourths of those um, free agents, or two-thirds of those free agents, I should say, those three being Cousins, Clay, and Durant. If they can keep Durant, I don't know. I, I think that's a tall order for them to be able to keep Durant. Um, if they don't keep Durant, honestly, I think that Lakers team, especially that initial year or two, with LeBron, they could really they could really make a move with it. I mean, Walker, Beal, Kuzma, and Brooke Lopez can all help spread the floor. That's going to help LeBron out tremendously. Um, he won't have to worry about fighting with Rondo or Lonzo Ball to bring the ball up. It'll be his show. Kemba can play off the ball. He's played well off the ball. In fact, when you look at um, the season in 2016 when he played with Jeremy Lin, those two were playing one and two just synonymously just switching it up naturally so um i do think that that's actually a pretty good option there so um the last option i have for kemba walker is the dallas mavericks now this is kind of a shocker but the dallas mavericks will actually have 54 million in cap space this year um i saw shams tweeted out that Porzingis is actually going to opt into his qualifying offer, meaning he won't be a free agent this summer, uh, meaning that the Mavs don't have to max him out this summer. They will next summer, um, but they don't have to max him out this summer, which is a huge break. So, um, you know, with $54 million and the maximum salary being around 30 you still have about 20 to $25 million to go chase a decent player. I mean, if you can have Kemba, along with Luka Porzingis, and then you sign maybe a Nikola Vucevic. Um, that starting lineup of Kemba, Tim Hardaway Jr., Luka Doncic, Porzingis, and Vucevic, that is a solid team. Um, I think they need to grow a little bit. I think the natural attrition from Luka and Porzingis and even Tim Hardaway being able to manage as a spot-up shooter will, will be tremendous for them. Um doesn't really necessarily fit the timeline, but I think it's an interesting case that not a lot of people are talking about that the Dallas Mavericks actually have a lot of cap space. Um, so let's see. I, I think that's a wild card. That's kind of my – the Lakers and Knicks are pretty popular options, right? So I want to try to think of something for you guys that's a little bit different and out the box. And I do think the Mavericks could be a case. Um, do I think they could contend for the, the West – I don't know um, if right away. It just depends on how good Luke. It all depend on how good Porzingis is coming back, and it all depend on how much Luca develops. Um, Luca is having a rookie season that rivals LeBron's rookie season. So, if anything's an indication, you give him that much talent around him, they could really do some damage. And then, last but not least, the Charlotte Hornets. So here, <laughs> I mean, maybe Kemba just says you know what i want to be a hornet for life that's my legacy i'm going to get paid more than any other team can pay me and let's just roll the dice and see if this works out (laughs) that's a risky move um you know definitely won't be labeled a ring chaser that's for sure 
Uh, a lot of that's going to depend on Miles Bridges and Malik Monk. The Hornets will start to get some cap space after next season. They're just littered in bad contracts, but um, they're going to slowly start coming off after next summer 2020. Um, and then in the summer 2021, Nick Batum's contract comes off. So maybe they put something together, but you're really banking a lot on Miles Bridges um, and Malik Monk to make that happen. So all in all, unfortunately, I don't think that would be a move that sees him really, you know, contending at this point. And in fact, I think more likely than not, if he goes with the Hornets for his tenure, unless Miles Bridges and Malik Monk just make all-star jumps overnight, which, hey, it's possible. I think both have a lot of potential. I don't know why Borrego doesn't play Malik Monk more. I'm, I'm glad he finally started playing Miles Bridges. Um, but that's a discussion for another day. Um, I just think, you know, unless those guys really just make a monster jump, the way that the Hornets are, they're they're just going to, you know, they're just going to be scrapping for the playoffs. I don't, we're not like, when I say we, I'm, I'm talking about the city of Charlotte. Like, we're not a top free agent destination um but you never know uh maybe Kemba can recruit someone he did recruit Al Jefferson back in 2013 which was a really good signing it actually got us to the playoffs two out of his three years here so um we, we he we the Hornets would need something like that they would need someone like an Al Jefferson type player um not quite a list super duper all-star or more than likely all-star candidate. They'll need someone just slightly below that level to come to Charlotte to help Kemba out. Um, Cody Seller, he's decent when he plays, but the guy's fragile. He gets hurt a lot. So I think all in all, it's it's going to be a long shot. But, you know, um, at the end of the day, if, if Kemba's legacy or what Kemba wants his legacy to be is a, is a Hornet for his whole career, he wants to play for this franchise forever, I just hope the guy doesn't get burned out with losing and demand a trade two or three years later and burn his bridges with the city. I think now is at a perfect crossroads where a lot of the fans that I talk to around here say if he were to leave, they wouldn't blame him. But I think he could fall back in his face if he was to stay, get burned out another year or two from losing and try to force a trade. So um, we'll wait and see. Looking forward to see what Campbell Walker does. But that's all for today, guys. Um, once again, this is the Hoops Observer. Um, I look forward to bringing you guys more content soon. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope everyone has a great rest of your day.